What is a woman? This is a question that the culture we live in cannot even answer anymore. We live in a time when men are self-mutilating themselves and dressing up and acting like a woman and thinking that somehow they're not a woman. We live in a time where thousands of mothers will murder their own babies. And according to, to CDC statistics as of 2016, by the end of this live stream, 71 mothers will murder their own babies in the U.S. alone. With this amount of confusion and morality stained with the blood of babies, it is no surprise that our culture can't even know what it truly means to live out the role, the fulfilling role of a woman. In a similar way, we as the church, and church as big, church of the U.S., I should say, the people that live in God, the, the, the citizens of the kingdom of God, we continue to be influenced by this culture. Feminism has snuck into the church like a snake in the sewers, has made a way to our homes, and slowly constricts our marriage and our families. So what is a woman? And even more, what is the role of a woman as ordained by the living God? And as I know, as we know, today is Mother's Day, the day that mothers are rightfully honored. And what I want us to do this morning is to consider the highly esteemed, highly elevated role that God has given for women. You may be wondering why are we taking the time to do this? So let me give you several reasons why. Number one, as I mentioned, the culture has so subtly influenced us that we take dozens of small actions, dozens of small decisions that can take us away from the path that God has called us to. And so we're taking time today to stop and, and look to see where we're at, to see where the path is, and start to make our way back to it. Another reason we're doing this is because error and confusion over our sexual identity and our roles deeply affects our marriages which is the cornerstone of our families and our church family. We are doing this because we want to raise masculine men and feminine women. We are doing this because we want to obey God. We want to know what God has commanded men to do and be. We want to know and follow what God has called women to do and be. We're doing this to glorify God because God is glorified when women live out the role that God has given them. And we're doing this as a witness to the watching world. In all of Scripture, the only relationship God has ordained as a picture to the gospel is the marriage between a husband and wife. And lastly, we're doing this because of all that's at stake. Uh, as John Piper and Wayne Grudem says, at stake in human sexuality is the very fabric of life as God wills it to be for the holiness of his people and for their saving mission to the world. And God has gloriously made men and women different. In our church family state, statement of faith, it says this, We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. And then a rejection of that person's role in their gender, is a rejection of the image of God as well. So as children of God, we're, we're not like the culture. We're not a, a confused culture. We're not a culture where the blind are leading the blind. God has spoken, and he has spoken pretty clearly on this, on this issue. And the role of woman, when it's lived out, it gives glory to God. 
It brings fulfillment to that woman. It edifies her husband. It ministers to her children and witnesses to the watching world. If you think that's an overstatement, in the 4th century, uh, a Christian man named Chrysostom, he, he records a pagan, an unbeliever teacher, saying this. He said this, Heavens, what woman you Christian have? He was amazed by the, the Christian woman. And it was a testament to that community, to their Lord. So this morning, as I said, as we honor mothers and all women, I'd like us to take a survey through the Bible, looking at the, the, biblical, the role of biblical woman, the womanhood. And this is uh, uh, not exhaustive at all. We're just hitting the major points. And we want to see the highly esteemed role of woman that God has given. So if you have not already, please grab your Bible. Um, if you are taking notes, get ready. We're going to be flying through this. Uh, it's going to be good. And before we begin, let me say that uh, to the men. I know we're talking about women, the role of women. You're like, okay, I guess I'm going to check out and see what's on TV. Don't do that. Because as we look through this, as men, we need to ask ourselves at each point, how am I encouraging? How am I equipping? How am I empowering my wife to fulfill this role that she's called to be? As, as fathers of daughters, how are you leading and discipling your daughter to be what God has called her to be? And for those of us who have sons, how are we leading our sons to be attracted to this type of woman? And then for those uh, young ladies, this is a, a looking up to, this is who I'm supposed to be. And speaking specifically to the younger men, the younger boys who will be married in the future, this is what's supposed to inform your search for a wife. So each step we go, asking ourselves, how am I leading my wife? How am I equipping her? Um, how am I empowering her? How am I doing that for my daughter? And how am I leading my sons? And it all connects. And so this is spoken to all of us. And as we go through, I've grouped certain points. So there's seven of them. Seven points about what the biblical role of woman just, and what constitutes woman, just to help give us some structure. And some points are longer than others, so don't fall aside because of that. So let's get going. You ready? So get ready. Open your Bibles. Get your notes ready. Point number one is this. Women are of equal value and dignity as men and are wanted by God. Women are of equal value and dignity as men and are wanted by God. And we see that from the very beginning. Open your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. At the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27, the record of the creation of everything, the earth, the stars, the creation of men, of humankind. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it's recorded. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see women share in the image of God. And it's the, the image bearers which gives us value, it gives us worth, it gives us dignity. And it's clear that women are as much image bearers as men are. And that's very clear in our statement of faith of our church family. So women are of equal value and dignity as men. But it's not just that creation, we see this in Christ. Now jump over to Galatians chapter 3. If you have been with us in our study of Galatians, uh, this will sound familiar. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, this is Paul speaking, and he says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
There is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you remember back to when we talked about this, Paul is not saying that there's no longer any distinction, as if uh, those who have a lot of money and those who have little money, like that, like that no longer happens, or there's no longer males or females. That's not all what he's saying. What he is saying is that in Christ, we're all of equal worth and all worth, uh, have equal dignity. We have all access to the same blessings in Christ of salvation. At the cross, we're all level. And that's what Paul's point here is. Just as in creation, in, in Christ, women and men are of absolutely same equal and value and dignity. Moving from that, if that's not enough, we'll jump to 1 Peter 3. I know we're going quick, so if you can't keep up, just listen and write down the, the verses here. So this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. As if, talking about the value and dignity of women at the same level as men is not enough, listen to what Peter says to men. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we hear that, that Peter is saying, hey, be understanding, love them, because they are heirs with you. They're receiving the same salvation as you, which is unheard of. This is unheard of at this time. And then he even issues a warning that scares me. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So your prayers may not be hindered. The fact of equality informs our behavior as men and how do we relate to women. So when it comes to this point, this point of uh, women are equal value and dignity as men, I, I am assuming I'm talking to two different groups. One group is like, yep, Alex, I've read my Bible before and this is very clear that God sees men and women of equal value, dignity, no question. And I'm saying, amen, follow with us. The second group may be thinking, well, this seems like a stretch, Alex. Uh, I hear, um, I've listened to different articles or podcasts and stuff, and it seems from their point, this message that the Bible is misogynist. It's very oppressive to women. And I'm here to tell you today, as we look through here, that's the exact opposite of what's true. Because the scripture, it provides for a woman a place of unusual dignity and significance, especially in compared to the world. The world at that time was written, and I would argue in the world that we are in today. For example, the Ten Commandments, the one that we as parents are favorite to, to tell our kids, children, honor your father and mother, right? This was unheard of. Honor your father, yup, yup, and mother. That was unheard of, especially at that time. What? Mothers were at the same level as fathers, and they were to be honored as well. And this is quick, so you may not be able to get this. Ephesians 5. Men are commanded to love their wives. That seems like, oh, yeah, yeah no big deal. That's, that, yep, yep, that's right. That was unheard of in that culture. Unheard of. And as we just read in 1 Peter, commanding husbands to show honor to their wives. Unheard of. To us, it's like, oh, no big deal. No, this was unheard of at that time. The activities of women that are primarily engaged in, such as uh, being wives, um, homemakers, mothers, is always, always in the Bible, highly esteemed. It always is. In Proverbs, if you're familiar with Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. The church in the New Testament is represented by a woman, a bride of Christ. 
And so we go through here. The Gospels, as we, as we continue to look, we'll see this. Especially in Luke, he emphasizes this. Jesus continuously upholds the dignity and value of women. Always. Seeking out women, like the woman at the well. Uh, allowing the woman to touch him. The, the woman cleaning his feet. He, he had a woman who supported his ministry and followed him, which was unheard of for rabbis. Paul, almost the same thing. He had women supporting his ministry. He had women active in his ministry. Unheard of. In this contrast, it, it's, so, it's so clear. It's very clear, especially the, the original listeners to God's word. This was unheard of at that time. To us, it may not. But I would argue that even in our culture, who, who says that they're all about empowering women, it's the same today. Because what our, our culture today says, they say, yep, we're empowering women, we're freeing them, we're giving freedom from the oppression of listening to their husbands, of having kids. What they're really doing is ripping femininity away from women, trying to make them into men, putting the curse of Adam's curse of sin, of work, onto the woman. Stripping the significance of bearing and raising children, which is where women find great fulfillment in God's role. And they're telling them that it's empowering to have casual, no strings attached sex. As one guy has said, New York is kind of the epitome of this message. And he goes on, he describes New York as a graveyard of women, used and abused by men in the name of empowerment. While the remaining years of their youth to have a husband, to have kids, just dwindles day by day. A former professor of mine, he said, uh, you can tell a lot uh, by a movement based on how they treat their woman. In Christianity, we've already looked at some really quick things here. It's clear that women are upheld, are esteemed. And as we just see that culture, they're trying to make women into men. They're, they're exploiting the life of women, upholding singleness, sleeping around, no kids, as if that's the ideal. And if I can throw in another example, Islam. In Islam, men can have up to four wives. And this comes from the Quran, Surah, which means chapter 4.3. It's okay to beat wives, Surah, chapter 4, verse 34. Uh, paradise, as some of us are well aware of, for men is literally a bunch of virgins for his own sexual gratification. This is Surah 78, verses 31-32. The trend we see in history, the trend in history is wherever the gospel goes, the social, the legal, the spiritual status of women has been elevated. So my point in saying all this is that at the very foundation of the biblical role of women is that they have, it's a highly esteemed role. They're of equal value and dignity in the eyes of God. It was clear at creation, it's clear in Christ. And I tagged on there in this point, they're wanted by God, which is clear through all this. God made male and female. God calls women to salvation. He seeks women out. The woman at the well, I think of Hagar, the, the concubine of Abraham. He sought Hagar out when she was casted up. He calls women to salvation. Women are, are interwoven in the history of the Bible, of, of God's people. And God highly esteems the role of woman and mother. And so that's the main point here. Point one, the foundation, is that women are of equal value and dignity as men. And that is clear. And that is especially in contrast to our world. Even what they say but at their actions is far elevated. The Christianity, God far elevates women and their role above the world and what history has done. So that's point one. 
That's probably the longest point. So if you're with me, let's go. Point two is this. Woman in God's word is seemingly, as we see it, presented as a gift of God. Women are a gift of God. We see this a lot in Proverbs. Uh, maybe just write this down. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14 says this. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The Bible constantly and consistently presents women as a gift from God. As one pastor says, we are told that a good woman is like our salvation, a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. A good wife is a tangible sign of God's blessing. And this is kind of a, a sub-point to the first point, but those two points, women are of equal value and dignity as, as men and are wanted by God, and women are continually presented as a gift from God. That brings us to point three. Women are needed by men. Women are needed by men. Number one, on a quick point, on a practical level, obviously, None of us can be here without our mothers as we're, as we're honoring and rejoicing in mothers today. And Paul makes this very clear. He also makes this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 through 12, he says this. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. And so, on a very practical level, we need woman. Men need woman. But we see this on a much deeper level as well. Jump back to Genesis chapter 2. We see here that men need woman as a helper for his mission. Men need woman as a helper for his mission. Genesis 2.18, as John read, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Think of that. It's not good for man to be alone. And I'm sure... We can appreciate this all the more as we've been quarantined and been kind of alone that we can, yep, that's true. That's very true. It is not good for us to be alone. And what does God say? He says he'll make an ezer kenegdu. That's the Hebrew. A helper fit for him. And so we see, to not leave a man alone, he has made woman. She's a helper for him. The role of woman is to help his, her man carry out his mission. Adam could not carry out his mission to multiply and subdue the earth without Eve. And she's a helper, he says, fit for him. She is designed for him, a venerated partner and cherished companion, woman. As Matthew Henry says, he says this, created in the image of God to be man's helper, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled by him, but under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. So men need women on a, a very practical level, being born, on a deeper level as a, needing a helper, but also on a corporate level. Women are needed by men in our church family. Paul says in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the church as members of the body. Our fingers, our, our elbows, our hands, our feet, everything. And he says over, and this is a huge point, not one member of the body can tell another member you're not needed. Because we need every single member. 
Paul is making it very clear. We need women in our church. Churches, our church family need women. So that's the third point. Women are needed by men. On the practical level, just to be born. On a much deeper level, as a helper fit for him to accomplish his mission. And then on a corporate level, we need women in our church family. That brings us to our fourth point. Is that women are wanted by men. Women are wanted by men. And we see this. Jump If, if you're still there, Genesis chapter 2. And this is kind of exciting. I get excited about this. Genesis 2, right? So Adam... Uh, if, if remember in the passage, God brought forth animals in front of him, right? And as you can see here, these animals are probably coming in their couples, male and female, male and female, male and female. You think he'd like, okay, I'm missing something here. And so when he finally gets put asleep and surgery, all that good stuff, when he first sees Eve, he bursts out in song. Some of your Bibles, the editors may, verse 23, may have set that verse aside. Or it's structured differently in a different paragraph. The reason they do that is because it is clear from the words, from the grammar, from the language. This is poetic. This is poetry. He's singing this. He sees Eve and then he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He couldn't take it. He finally had a companion. She was good looking and she wanted him. And so he sung. When was the last time you sung to your wife? <laughs> Obviously, that's not an application, but we see this. That he wanted, he wanted his wife, Eve. And men want woman. This is very clear from the very beginning. But as we move on through the scripture and through our lives, as any man can attest, women are wanted by men in the deepest way, sexually and emotionally with all our beings. One has just have to read just a few verses of Song of Solomon and hear about the man's desire for his wife to blush. How deep is this longing and desire for his wife? And this is echoed all over in Proverbs as well. As one pastor summarizes, he says this, Husbands are called to rejoice sexually with their wives, Proverbs 5.18. They are commanded to be enraptured, chapter 5, verse 19. This is something the husband is commanded to do and is able to do, but not alone. In other words, a biblical wife can outdo all the one-night stands in the world. Information to the contrary is nothing more than lying propaganda. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, echoes the same earnest desire men have for women. Women are wanted by men. This uh, as a, a subpoint, this is this natural and good desire that men have for women. Um, and with, in this context, it's one of the reasons that Paul does write about women having modesty in their dress. First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse nine. Paul writes, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pear, pearls. Or costly attire. So Paul isn't writing this to shame or control him. That's not his point at all. And his point isn't laying down specifics, but we see principles from this. He's saying this. In light of this intense desire that men have for women, be aware of how you dress just so you don't distract nor make men stumble. In this verse, we see this, this principle of modesty in terms of one's body figure but also in terms of wealth. And that's what's coming forth with the pearls and the hair. That's how women showed their wealth was with, with all that, that adornment. And so the, the meaning is clear. Don't dress flaunting your body, nor your wealth. 
And that's one. And within that context, it's all within the context of this intense desire men have for women. And that's the fourth point: that women are wanted by men. So we saw that they're of equal value and dignity as men and wanted by God. Women are a gift of God. Women are needed by men. And then here we saw that women are wanted by men. That brings us to our fifth point: is that women or a woman, I should say, is the supporter of her man. A woman is the supporter of her man. Now, not all women are, are, are married or called to be married, but that is not the norm at all. It's the exception. But most listening here through this video are wives who are married. Other ladies are those who are going to be married in the future, the lady, or girls and whatnot. Or there's even women here who are not married and maybe don't ever plan to get married, but you're called to support and disciple other ladies who fall in the other two categories. But we see here that women are called to be the supporter of her man. And by that, I mean she's called to follow and support his leadership. And we see this right from the beginning. If you jump back to Genesis chapter 2, here we see that men is set up as the leader for his woman. It's clear from the, the helper, the helper fit for him to help him with his mission, to accomplish his mission. But we see clearly it's male headship. Um, woman was made for the man. Woman was made after the man. Woman was made from the man. She was brought to the man and she was named by the man. All showing the sign of, of leadership, of authority. In all of this, the role of woman is that a supporter and follower of the leadership of their man. And this is repeated by Paul everywhere. It's repeated in 1 Corinthians 11. It's repeated in Colossians chapter 3. It's repeated on a corporate level in 1 Timothy of the church context of 1 Timothy chapter 2. But I want this to, to look at Ephesians 5 because it's expanded on in Ephesians 5. So jump to, if you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And this probably is a familiar passage for uh, many people who are listening. If it's not, totally good. But before we read this, I want you to not think for a second. Don't think for a second that somehow within this passage, God regulates women to a second-class status. That is not at all what he's doing here. It is clear, it is very clear that the leadership outlined in Ephesians 5 is that God his intent is that women should be held to the highest esteem. It's clear throughout this. So we're looking at Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. Paul writes this. God, through Paul, writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. So we're going to talk about submission for a little bit here. And as we begin, I want to share a picture of what this, this marriage looks like, this, this, this leadership and the submission uh, dynamic. And this is coming from a, a quote from Pastor Jerry, who's the E-Free Church, is the pastor of the E-Free Church in Bemidji, actually. And I think it gives a, a beautiful picture of what this looks like. And so he says this, Christian marriage is designed to be like a dance where a husband leads and his wife follows, and together in unison, they create something beautiful. Rather than stepping on each other's toes or crashing into everyone else on the dance floor, 
They glide along together in an amazing blend of synergy and artistry. From the twirl of her dress to the tapping of his shoes, the music makes sense and brings them both great joy as they work together towards something greater than their individual selves could have ever accomplished. We see here a glimpse of the wisdom and grandeur of God's planet work. Christian marriage, beautifully designed for the mutual joy and benefit of husband and wife together in this dance we call life. And when it's approached with love and respect and mutual reverence for Christ, it brings God great glory. So as we talk about this, keep in mind this submission is all within the context of the equal value and dignity as men. In no way does this ordained structure of God for family or in the church devalue women. Do not let the culture tell you that. We see here that submission is voluntarily and it's not forced. And I want to read a definition by uh, former pastor John Piper. He says, submission is this. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. So ladies, when you feel rebellious or resentful of your husband's leadership, or you're competing with your husband's leadership for your family, realize that this is a sin and it's a result of the fall. And it's clear in God's word. And also realize submission doesn't mean acquiescing. It doesn't mean just accepting something reluctantly without protest. Submission includes engagement, and as Piper says here, and actively working as your husband's helper. It's not disengaging, which is just another form of rebelling. Submission, however, does not mean that you lose your identity or are inferior. It does not mean you blindly obey or submit to verbal or physical abuse. It does not mean you follow your husband to sin. But submission does mean giving up your desire to control. It does mean cooperating with him and supporting him as he seeks to lead your marriage and family. Now, you're probably asking yourself, how can I do this? Trust that God is in control of your life. Trust that God is in control of your marriage, that he's in control of your children, he's in control of your present circumstances, he's in control of your, your future. Your husband's fallible. That's Casey, she knows that. But your husband's leader is not. And your ultimate leader is not. Trust God. In the same passage, Paul adds an element of respecting your husband. This is uh, Ephesians 5, verse 33. Paul writes, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And right away, in your mind, it's popping up, and it should pop up in Casey's mind as well. But what if he doesn't deserve it? What if he doesn't deserve my respect? And yes, that may very well be true. But this command is given without any qualifiers, just as the command for the husbands to love their wives is, is given without any qualifiers. As one has put it, respect is a choice to receive your husband in spite of his weaknesses. Respect is a choice to receive your husband in spite of his weaknesses. And ladies, every man, every single man has a deep longing and desire for her wife, his wife's respect and support. Every, everyone's husband listening 
has a deep longing and desire for his wife's respect and support. It is a mistake. Listen to this. It is a mistake to believe that respecting him when he doesn't deserve it will somehow reinforce his weaknesses or somehow will give uh, uh, like permission for his, his bad behavior or bad actions. And that's completely wrong because respect will challenge your husband to be the man God created him to be. Respecting your husband when he doesn't deserve it is like an amplifier of God's voice calling him to be the man he's called to be. Another objection might be, what if he's not a Christian? And that is a big deal, but that does not negate God's command. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 3 that you respecting, submitting to him might actually be the agent God uses to bring him to God. Peter says in chapter 3, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And this is difficult. This is very difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because of sin. Jump back to Genesis 3. If you got your finger at Genesis 2, uh, go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And you're probably familiar with this, but let me set it up. So this is right after the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. And God has uh, the serpent, has the woman and the man in front of him. And he's about to tell them the consequences of their sin. And verse 16 is in the context of the consequences to the woman. And he says this, Genesis 3, verse 16, he says, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, I know some of us are probably reading different translations, and your translation might say this, uh, Your desire shall be contrary for your husband, or shall be against your husband, or shall be to your husband. And the reason they do that, which is a good understanding of it, is because the only other place that this word is used is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. So if you have to flip the page or whatnot, go to Genesis 4, verse 7. And if you see, it's within the context of Cain. And this is right before Cain murders his brother Abel. And God is warning him. And God says this, And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. That's the same word as we saw in Genesis 3, 16. But you must rule over it. So what God is saying with that word, that same language, the same grammar, he's saying sin is crouching as desire came is to overtake, to overrule you. And so what we see in Genesis 3, a consequence of sin is women have a sinful desire to overrule their husbands, to overtake and overrule their husbands. So long story short, if that's a long story, it will be a battle. To obey God and being the supporter of your man, it will be a battle. In fact, male headship was at the center of the fall. Remember, the serpent comes to Eve. God's ordained order is the man and then the woman. That's the thing that the Satan, the serpent, attacked was male headship. He defied that order went to the woman. So we should think of nothing less or we shouldn't expect anything less about this battle to be the supporter of your husband. All right, enough on that point. Ready? Point six, here we go. So we saw, let me, let me try to re- remember this. So number one, women are of equal value and dignity as men and are wanted by God. Number two, they're a gift of God. Number three, they're needed by men. Number four, they're wanted by men. Number five, they are the supporter of her man. 
Here we go. Number six, she is the discipler of woman. Titus 2, another, the other passage that John uh, read from. If you go to Titus chapter 2, it's a small book, so it's easy to, to pass over. Titus 2. I'll give you a second to get there, but as, as you're going there, uh, we'll read in this passage and we'll see that women are called to a high standard, just like the men are. They're called to a high standard of character so that they can lead and disciple other women as well. And we'll see in Titus 2, as you're still flipping there, maybe you're still, maybe you're not, there's specific character qualities for women to work to to grow towards. They have a set goal in mind and they have a goal that they can teach and disciple other women to work to as well. So Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes this to, to Titus. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, Pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, so there's a, a ton here, but let me just a few, a few highlights. So women are called to be and to teach other women, to, to disciple other women, to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers, not to be gossips, not to be slaves to wine or honestly to anything else to, in that matter. They're to, to teach and to be loving to their husbands, to, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, to be kind, to be submissive to their husbands. And look how Paul ends this. He, he gives a reason why. It's a huge, massive reason. He says, so that the word of God may not be reviled. He ascribes incredible importance that this is going on, that women are just loving other women, so that God's word, his testimony, his witness, the witness to the gospel will not be reviled. It hangs on this. And we see that, ladies, you are called to a massively high calling. You are to fulfill the great commission among other women. So with that, a couple of questions. Who is pouring into you? Who is discipling you? If no one, I encourage you to find a woman that you respect and to ask them if you can learn from them. The other question is, who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? This can be formal, going through a book, but it can be most often informal, in person, social media, text, call, play dates, you name it. But who are you investing in? So that's the sixth point of this role of woman we see is a discipler of woman. And that brings us to our seventh and last role. And that is of homemaker and the discipler nurturer of her children. Homemaker and the discipler nurturer of her children. And so we're gonna the we're gonna I'm gonna reverse the order as we go through it is we're gonna first hit the discipler and nurturer of your children, the role of woman. And if we're honest, our culture seemingly is is unable to do this, but it's clear from creation that that's how it is. Women carry the baby. And they're innately, they have a connection with their kids that men will never understand. They literally were connected to their kids. And they're far more nurturing in character than men are. AJ is like, yep. <laughs> we see this. We see this, this, this role of disciple and nurture with children in Titus 2. Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, train the young woman to love their husbands and children. And please notice here that he says this. A lot of times it won't come natural. A lot of times it will be, there'll be a resistance. 
teach, train the wives to love their children and husbands. So if you feel shame, like, wow, so-and-so is quite the piece of work today. Well, you don't, I just don't love them today. Yep, and that's, that's going to happen. We're supposed to teach uh, and, and, and work towards that loving our husbands and children. Ladies are the main caretakers of their children. And I want to stop and say that this is huge. Ladies, you are literally making disciples of your children at home. You are literally fulfilling the Great Commission at home. You are raising, literally, the next generation of leaders in our church family and in our, church, in our, in our country. If, you, if you're in 1 Timothy, actually probably not there, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to key in on verse 15, which is sometimes, it's a very hard verse to, um, to interpret or to understand, to be honest with you. So if you're there, if you're in Titus, you can flip over just a few um, pages. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, we're going to key in on verse 15, but I'm going to start in verse 13 just to get a little context. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became, became a transgressor. Then here's verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with, with self-control. And that's like, what is that got to say? And like I said, this is sometimes a very hard verse to interpret. But from all of Scripture, which we interpret Scripture with Scripture, it's clear, it's very clear that Paul is not saying that women are saved, they have salvation, they have God's un, undeserved favor because they give birth. That's not all what Paul is saying. That's very clear through all of Scripture. But what he is saying, and the impression that we do get from this verse, is that although the woman was deceived, referring to Eve, in the stigma that comes with that, she can be saved from that stigma, she can be preserved from that stigma and find fulfillment in her role of being a mother, of bearing children. And this makes even further sense if you look at the context of verses 8 through 12, which we're not going to do for the sake of time. My point for referring to verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, my whole point of doing that was just to show this such a esteemed role that God gives women and mothers. Don't lose sight of that. Now, just as the part of the role of woman as the supporter of her man, there's resistance because of sin. She had that desire to, her desires for him will overrule him. The same thing we see in Genesis 3. She's pain and childbearing. Sin makes this difficult. On top of this, our culture just wails on this all day, every day. Continually demeaning moms, continually demeaning homemakers as if it's some slavery or, or oppression, don't buy the lie. Now that brings us to the second part of this last point, which is a uh, homemaker. Woman is to be a homemaker. We see this in Titus 2. Uh, verse 4, he says, And so train the young woman to love their wives and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. And then he continues on in these different characteristics. The, what is the point of this? The priority of woman is the home. Her primary responsibility is to be a homemaker. Now, any outside work she does outside the home is not to interfere with this priority, this, this caring for, training her kids, and then building up her home. Former President Theodore Roosevelt, he said this, The mother is the one supreme asset of the national life. She is more important by far than the successful statesmen or businessmen or artists or scientists. Women are homemakers. 
And, and what we see here, what Paul says in Titus 2, is an echo of what King Lemuel says in Proverbs 31, which some of us may know this well. I'm not going to read just because it's a, a longer chunk, but if you have time this week, which I know you do, as we all do, I encourage you to read through Proverbs 31. And what we see is a glorious picture of a productive, hardworking woman who brings honor to her husband, who cares for her children, and her makes her home well. So there you have it. A very big overview. Just a, just a flyby of the biblical role of woman. Women are of equal value and dignity as men and are wanted by God. Women are a gift by God, or a gift of God. Women are needed by men. Women are wanted by men. Woman is the supporter of her man. Woman is the discipler of woman, and woman is the, the discipler nurturer of her children and a homemaker. Um, some of you may be familiar with Elizabeth Elliot. She, she just passed away, I think, a few years ago. And she was the wife of martyred missionary Jim Elliot, which may be familiar. She said this, The fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I'm a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. For I have accepted God's idea of me, and my whole life is an offering back to him of all that I am and all that he wants me to be. So ladies, in light of what Scripture says about your role, a wise woman embraces God's design for her home. A wise woman embraces God's design for her home. Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Choose God's design and not these other influences. Order your life according to God's priorities. One, your relationship with him. Two, respecting and supporting your husband. And three, teaching and training your children. And then all other things orientated around these three priorities. Build and contribute. Bless your husband and family in tangible ways. Lovingly teach and train your children. Be involved in their lives. And through all of it, depend on God. Because it's a high calling. It's highly esteemed and it's hard. Depend on God. So ask yourself, is your life right now ordered around these three priorities? God, husband, children. If not, what needs to change? Are you currently engaging in active submission in respect to your husband? Is the way you speak to him filled with words of gratitude, words of affirmation, words of confidence in him? And listen to this last point. Your sexuality is a powerful force. Affirming your husband's masculinity by accepting and responding to his sexuality builds him up like none other. His confidence, his mission, his, his drive, everything. So you hold within your hands a powerful force. Use it to build up your husband and not to control or tear him down. And then men, as I've been asking you to listen through this, let me ask you a few questions. Are you right now supporting her her relationship with God? Are you making time for her, away from the kids, for her to study God's word, to connect with other women, to be poured into? Are you leading them in family worship? Are you praying for her and with her? Are you encouraging her and not criticizing her? Do you see her as your partner in mission, in your mission, and you help and your helper to be cherished and treating her that way? Are you showing her that you want her? 
both sexually and emotionally. Are you being a man that you would want to follow? Are you following God so you can be the leader of your wife and children that you should be? Are you empowering her to be a disciple of other women? And are you enabling her to disciple your children and to take care of your household and to be a productive homemaker? If we recall last week, we talked about the virgin conception. And we see a great picture of femininity, a great picture of a biblical woman. And that's the 13-year-old Mary. When she's told she's going to have conceive a kid by never knowing a man, she responds with, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So as we end here, may our community, may our lost friends, our lost family members say with that pagan in the 4th century, may they exclaim, Heavens, look at the woman those Christian men have. So please pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord. God, thank you for mothers. Thank you for women. I know I speak on behalf of all men that we are very thankful, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we have gone through your word, Lord, may you just um, rush over the ladies who are listening, just the the value and how much you want them and, and the esteem that you've given them and the significant role that you've given them, Lord. I just pray that that's just ingrained in their heads. And Lord, um, give them grace, give them courage and encouragement to arise to this high calling of womanhood. Lord, help us men who are listening, give us grace, give us wisdom and how to lead best in helping our wives, our daughters to to obtain to this, this glorious role. And Father, I pray for um, the young men who are listening, that you use your word to help them inform what they're looking for in a wife. And Father, I pray for those listening who um, may be widows, Lord, or may uh, never have married the ladies, that they see this, this role as theirs as well, this discipler, this, this supporter, this trainer of other women. God, we are thankful. Uh, Lord, we are always thankful. And we ask this all in your son's name. Amen.